Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. It's such a small community, like in, in the, the comedy club, for instance, on the, on the comedy circuit, there's, it's so much smaller than people realize, and everybody knows each other. And you and I both know, we, we both know a lot of assholes, you know? Um, and I just, in looking at, you know, the landscape of the different uh, artists that are out there, I always said to myself, you know what, if I can walk in a room and... and Leave people smiling, which is why you, I imagine you get in the industry. It's like you want to you wanna touch people in a positive manner. I just said, all right, well, you know what? That's my path. And that's always been my, my path anyway, you know. My guest today is somebody I love dearly. Really one of the nicest guys in this business. You might recognize him from his appearances. Uh, he was a series regular on Guy Code. He was in Spider-Man 3. He was even on The Sopranos. But most importantly, out of 152 cast members and 45 years of Saturday Night Live, he was one of the cast members. Please welcome my guest today, Dean Edwards. <laughs> What's going oh, on? Uh, What's popping? What's popping? Very. I'm not, I'm not that nice. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> yes, I am. Look, I'm, look, I'm like, let me make sure, like, you can sit back, but I gotta stay right under the lights. So, you do? There we go. There we go right. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we good. People good can to go. see you. Can y'all see me? I'll, every so often, I'll pan back to make sure <laughs> y'all get me on that side. What's I'm up, so man? excited to see you here. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Has anybody ever told you in your life? that you were an asshole? No, um, I'm sure somebody, at, at least like an ex-girlfriend at some point, you know. Um, nah, not really. I, just, you know, I, do, I, do, I do my best to, you know, I put out what I want people to give back to me. So, you know, I, um, I, I, I'd like to think that, especially in our industry, that, uh, you know, I was very touched by what you said, but I like... I like walking into a room and people like, oh, Dean's here, you know what I mean? And, and, and leaving that impression versus people, you know, you walk away like, that dude's a jackass, you know what I mean? So I do my best to, to spread love, it's the Brooklyn way, you know? 
the first podcast I ever did with Doug Herzog, I said, what's your biggest philosophy in your business and your life? Mm-hmm. And he said, I have a no asshole policy. Dig it, dig it, that's, that's important. Well, especially, I, I think in any industry, but especially uh, entertainment, and I think you and I have had this conversation, it, it's such a small community, like in, in the, the comedy club, for instance, on the, on the comedy circuit, there's, it's so much smaller than people realize, and everybody knows each other. And you and I both know, we, we both know a lot of assholes, you know? Um, and I just, in looking at, you know, the landscape of the different uh, artists that are out there, I always said to myself, you know what, if I can walk in a room and... and Leave people smiling, which is why you. I imagine you get in the industry is like you wanna you wanna touch people in a positive manner. I just said, all right, well, you know what? That's my path, and that's always been my my path anyway. You know, when you started in the business, yeah, way back in my youth. <laughs> one of the things I remember from the comedy club scene, and I owned the Boston Comedy Club, Boston Comedy Club, yeah, for many years, the uh, Anne Frank's Comedy Attic, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Did you just <laughs> snort? Thank you. That was nice. I love that. <laughs> that made, don't feel self-conscious. We need more of that in the world. No, really. They're, I mean, because guys, when they snort, horrible. Yeah, horrible. Because you're a troll. But women, when they snort, it's... It's pre- beautiful. Beautiful. It's exciting. Very forgiving. <laughs> but, you know, you're in the clubs, and there's two things you feel. Mm. Hope yeah. and hopelessness. Yeah, yeah. And so when you were going into those clubs and you'd pass Chris Rock in the hallway or you'd see one of these people who were on, in your mind, the Mount Rushmore of comedy and you're starting out, were you the kind of comic who felt hope or did you feel hopeless? Nah, you know what, that's... (laughs) I was that full of myself. I was hopeful, man. I always, I anytime I'm like you, whether it was Chris, if it was Chris Rock, I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna introduce myself, but one day he's gonna know who I am. You know what I mean? And uh, and your club, Barry's being humble. Boston Comedy Club back in the back in the uh, '90s, man. That was the spot that you wanted to, you know, win. You know, there were there were a handful of comedy clubs in comparison to now. A handful of comedy clubs, and that was the one. I remember the first time I went there, uh, shout out to Frosty. Matt Frost was one of the door guys. Matt Frost, just so you know, for the context of the story, fate is a strange thing. And I did this thing in spring break for MTV where Jay Moore hosted an event there. And Matt Frost was an intern for MTV. And I met him, and I said, when you're ready to take things seriously come to New York and I'll have you work for me. And he ended up doing it and now he's a huge agent at Creative Artist Agency right now. Matt's the truth. Um, He's the truth now. Back then I was pissed off when I met him because because he was a gatekeeper and you know the, the process with a lot of the clubs was you had to, there was Either a lottery, like the comic strip had a lottery, and and uh, I think on Monday nights at Boston, as a comic, you had to pay five dollars to get stage time, and I was offended because I was like, I was, I've been a comedian for three years, I don't, 
I don't need to pay. And he was like, all right, well, holla, you know. And, and so I didn't get on. And then I just, uh, I think talent and, uh, and Will Sylvince. Too. When he says talent, there was a comedian yeah. who named himself yeah. Talent. Yeah, yeah. You think he had hope? Hey, <laughs> he had a lot of hope, right? Very talented guy. Yeah. And they ran a Sunday night Sunday show night. at my comedy club, which was the black show. Right. Of the really fantastic. the phone people. No, I'm just playing. I like that almost as much as the snort. <laughs> <laughs> and they had the black show yeah. on Sunday nights, and it was the most popular show it that was, I had at the club. It was it was, crazy. it was the hottest show probably in the country um, at the time. It was it was a show that. Uh, when, you know, at the time they were doing like Deaf Comedy Jam. So anytime they were taping Deaf Comedy Jam at a theater in Midtown Manhattan, all of the comics, whether it was Bernie Mac, whether it was uh, uh, Martin Long, ev everybody converged on the Sunday night because it was the hottest show in the city, black, white, Latino. Everyone would come down. And that's what I always dug about their night was that, you know, someone like, say, uh, I still call him Billy. I refuse to call Bill, Billy Burr, Bill Burr. I'm like, <laughs> I knew you when you were immature, so I'm not calling you Bill, right? And, and cats like Billy would come through, and you had to, regardless of where you worked during the week, it was like, all right, I'm going to come down on, on Sunday night and, and test my skills. And I think that's how you get better as a stand-up. You know, is you don't just say, here, I'm only going to work in my comfort zone. I'm going to work outside of my comfort zone in front of a, a variety of demographics. And that's why that, that night was so great. And, that, and you were a big part of it, man. That, I mean, that, that was really, you, you gave them just, he, he let, you know, similar to Lauren Michaels, where they say, uh, Lauren, let the, the, let the nutcases run the asylum. Barry kind of just let the comics run their nights. And, and, uh, and we're all indebted. We're all grateful for that, man. I remember. Thank you for that clap. Nobody else did, but I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> she tapped out. She did it. She was like, all right, nobody else is following. So I'm going to keep this to myself. <laughs> this has got to be weird for the audience because they see a comedian right. going on and it's stand-up comedy. Right, and then right. they have to just say. What it's called the stand and we're sitting. Let that sink I, in. I, right? <laughs> I know. I never thought about that. I love this place. But I remember when Steve Harvey came by the club. Yeah. And sometimes when you hear that a comedian's going on, you don't know what even happens because we were in Greenwich Village. Right. But I guess people would call their friends and within a certain yeah. amount of time we packed. Yeah. And it was all black comics yeah. wanting to listen and see Steve Harvey because... Yeah. He didn't really do comedy clubs. Right, right. No, at that point, Steve was doing, if he was, he was doing at least theaters, and, and he was, you know, that was like right before the Kings of Comedy where they were doing arenas. And, and, I, and I remember Steve Harvey came in there and, <laughs> and laid it down on us, and we all just were like, we, we got a long way to go, you know, because he, uh, you know, he just, he was like, ain't, ain't, but, ain't but 10 comedians in the country. Y'all <laughs> is comics. And I was like, well, I, I like to be a comedian, but, it, you know, I, I ain't rich right now. You know, I'm struggling paying rent in Park Slope, you know what I mean? So, uh, but I, we got there. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, 
and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I remember, true to what you just said, in a little bit of a way, I want to share this with you guys. So there was a comedian who was in the audience, and he's finishing up his set. I think he said, like, any questions. I don't even yeah. know why he said that. And there was a comedian on the side, and he said, what advice do you have for me as a young comic? And he said, you're a comic. Yeah. That's what you are. You, you're a comic. I'm a comedian. You want to know what the difference is? You're trying to get seven minutes so you can go to a festival and get your own sitcom. I go to comedy clubs, and I only want to hear one thing. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah. That's all I want to hear before I go on. And then I need to do my job up there, and I'm not worried about anything else because they will find me. Right. I remember Dane Cook said something when he was releasing his album, and we couldn't get a publicist. We just couldn't get a publicist. No one would take him on. And so I sit down with him. I tell him, listen, the fifth publicist passed on working with you. And he said, I'm going to release this next album, and I'm going to make a noise so loud that Hollywood will have to listen. Dig it. <laughs> And that's what Steve Harvey did, and that's what Dane did. That's what Chappelle continues to do. Right. It's an exciting thing, and that's what you did. You made the noise, right. it, it, it and was, people it, listened. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. SNL was a it was it was a nice run. You know, I was. You can tell me I wasn't Eddie Murphy when I got on the show. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they they finally gave me a chance. I'm back, you know. And then, uh, and it was uh, what was uh, interesting about the summer. Because what you know, a lot of people don't know the journey to get to SNL started with. There was a y'all remember UPN and uh, and I think it was now it's the CW, but it was uh, what was or was it the, the WB? The WB. So it was UPN and WB. Those are like the the black networks. Like you were like, all right, I can get an opportunity. Well, yeah, I won't get the NBC, but I get UPN. You know, because <laughs> UPN had all those. Remember they had all those three name black shows, like half and half, sister sister, uh, uh, girlfriend. It was either one name or three names. Half and half, one on one, sister, sister, you know, and, and except like, another one that was longer. Homeboys in outer space. <laughs> That's three words, though. Homeboys in outer space. That's three. See, it was in. The, it was the quota, and it was just a lot of syllables, right? <laughs> I did a deal for Mike Epps at one. Did you really? Oh, wow, for for ooh, UPN or yeah. CW? Okay, and uh, or the WB. So UPN was doing a sketch show, uh, and I remember um, Dave and I, uh, Chappelle. And I were cool, be and uh, he said to me, he's like, Dean, man, go to L.A. when they call for you. And I was like, you, you don't think I was? He was like, nah, man, go go when they call for you. Work work on your act, man. And so and so they called for me, this cat, Al Heyman, who's a big boxing promoter. And just so you know, Al Heyman, he was a concert yeah. promoter in New England. This is an interesting thing. When I went to Boston University, there were no black concerts at Boston Garden because they were scared there were going to be riots. So they did all the black <laughs> concerts at the Providence. People don't riot when they go to see Luther Vandross. <laughs> you can't riot in hard bottom shoes. You're going to slip and fall. <laughs> so Al Heyman figured that out. He went to Harvard and he figured out, 
okay, I'm going to promote the black artist at Providence Civic Center. Oh, okay. And that's what okay. he did. Yeah, yeah. So he was producing. He was moving into television. And he was producing this sketch show. And uh, and they saw me, uh, I think, at the Comedy Cellar. And they had me showcase. And they, and, and they loved what I did. So they said, we're going to fly you to L.A. I was like... Dave was right. I'm going to L.A. And I was awful, man. I was. Te- it was a terrible, like, because when you screen test, you go in front of the producers and you have all of the executives and, and it's just you. Whereas as opposed to having an audience is really, you know, three to seven people in the room. So it was it was it was painful. And just to explain the test deal process to you, if you don't know. So what happens is, yeah. is that. There's normally a television studio, let's just say like Sony or something like that, and then there's a network like the UPN, and they deficit the show together. They spend the same amount of money together to drive the show forward. And so what happens is, in these situations, is you have to test, and you sign like a 65-page contract that has all the terms and conditions of your term on the show for like six, six and a half years. Mm -hmm. So that if you got the show, you can't renegotiate it. They own you. And so the first place you have to test is at the studio. And there's a bunch of people there who you know and some you don't know. And they're shaking your hand saying, good luck, Dean. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I'm going to take this motherfucker out. And so you do the studio. And then if you make it past the studio, then you go to the network. And then if the network decides to have you, then you have the show. Right, right. So I go out. Um, it's, it's terrible. I, I head back to New York, sort of tail tucked between my legs. And I remember saying to myself, I never... And it was so bad that my manager at the time actually... He told me how he told me that they told him how bad it was, which I was like, damn, they, they, they got to break my spirit too, you know? And, uh, and I said to myself, I never want to be in that position again. So right after that, because as a stand-up, I had never, I'd never taken improv classes or, or really understood the, the sketch form. But I'm going to stop you here for a second. Because yeah. we've all gone on interviews yeah. where there was an important job. And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us have fucked up those interviews. Right. So you're getting flown out first class to L.A. Yeah. You have plenty of time to prepare. You know what your skill set is and your talent is. Could you tell the audience why you didn't do well? I didn't do well because I think it was my first it was my first time in that situation and I did not that with with sketch shows they at the time they wanted three impressions and three characters. I at that time I'm probably I'm a comic for all of Five, maybe six years. So I'm, and, and they say with stand-ups, you, you usually find your, your comedic voice at year seven, six or seven. So I knew how to make people laugh. I knew, knew what was funny about me. I knew I had a lot of impressions, but the characters were my weak, were my weak, uh, weak field. And so I did, I didn't, so I did like a poetry. You're talking character. about the original characters. The original characters. Because a lot of times what happens yeah. when you audition for a sketch show they want to see at least three to five celebrity impressions, right. and they want to see at least three original characters. Right, right. And sometimes there's artists that don't have those things. Like when I was representing Daryl Hammond, we just prepared the impressions right. because he didn't have any original characters. When I work with Melissa Villasenor and she tested, and she's on the show now, she only did impressions, she didn't do original characters. But people like Jim Brewer, who I worked with, he didn't have any impressions, all he had was original characters. 
But I like to say, if you have both, you put more lottery balls in that right. clear plastic thing right. to win. Right. And so you you didn't just go with the impressions; you went with the. I. They told me three characters, so I I made up. I had like a terrible devil character. I had a terrible slam poet character. It, they were bad, man. And I'm honest enough to say they they sucked. Okay, they were they were. Re it was really really bad. And so when I got back, um, they had the, right over the comedy cellar. There's a theater, and they were. I looked up this. This is how long ago it was. I looked up in the yellow pages, right? I looked in the yellow pages. The yellow pages back in the day. For those that don't know, <laughs> were Google, right? And, and I looked up uh, improv classes or maybe in backstage and I found this improv class and I took class for a couple of months because I said, you know what, if I'm ever fortunate enough to have a similar opportunity, I'm going to be ready. So fast forward to, uh, to 2001, um, early, late May, early June 2001, Mad TV had, uh, had auditions coming up. Um, I, I somehow I got the copy of Jimmy Fallon's audition tape for SNL and like you said, Jimmy was his strong suit was impressions and he did a couple of characters that were so-so. Um, hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I wanna do it because I wanna help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And what Jimmy's audition was and what his big thing on stage was at the time, and it was so ridiculously unbelievable, but it worked for him. Remember the troll dolls? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he would have a troll doll on the stool and he would do musical impressions and parodies yeah. around the troll. It was an incredible yeah. thing, yeah. but regular monologists were looking at him like, right. Right. does this guy do anything? Does he do anything right. but sing? But he had a real special talent. He yeah. was from Albany, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Saugerties, exactly. And, uh, and so I said, oh, so you don't. That's what opened my eyes to say, oh, you know what? If you play to your strengths, the impression. So going into the Mad TV, I, I said, you know what? I had three characters that were so-so, but then I, uh, I said, you know what? They, they give you three minutes to do all of this in, in, uh, in your audition. So I said, you know what? Even though they say three impressions, if you do more than three impressions within the, the time constraints, they're not going to say, no, no, that's, that's too many. So I wrote a sketch where I said, all right, this is my impression of 
a black awards show that Chris Rock and Chris Tucker are hosting. Uh, Jay-Z and uh, Erica Badu are doing a duet. And Sam Jackson and Denzel Washington are presenting James Earl Jones with a Lifetime Achievement Award, right? So the, because in my mind, I was like, if I say them all up top, now I can just run through them versus me like taking time in between each. So I set it up, and then when uh, and I I actually I recorded myself and ran it, and I said, oh, "Okay, you know what?" I, I looked at it like a stand-up set. So then by the time I went to um, went to the Mad TV auditions, it was up on like the Upper West Side. It was like myself, uh, my man Donnell Rollins, you know him as Ashy Lowry, and he also tours with Chappelle and Owen Smith, another funny cat, comic slash writer. So I go in first. And I lead with the impressions, and, and then I do my characters, and then Nicole Garcia, who's the casting director, she's, she's laughing through it all. And, and, she, and now she's a manager. She manages Fortune Feimster. Right. And, and Nicole says, who, who else can you do? I was like, who else you want me to do? And she was like, Steve Harvey. I was like, well, you ever. And, and then I just started running through the, my, my pop culture references, and she's like, Jamie Foxx. I was like, well, you know, Jamie Foxx is kind of cool when you talk to him, you know, and... And by the time I was, it was supposed to be three minutes, 10 minutes later, I come out and Donnell is like, yo, young and we all hate you because, <laughs> because we could hear how she was laughing. And as an, as an actor, the, the, the most frustrating thing, like anytime I go on auditions, if, if someone else is going right before me, I step out of the room just because I don't want to hear what, what they're doing so that doesn't affect my performance when I go in the room. So I left, uh, I left the audition and like right after I turned on to Broadway, I get a call from my manager saying, hey, they love what they saw you do. They want you to come back tomorrow. Uh, they're gonna send you a scene and you have a call back in front of David Salzman who's the producer. So I was like, all right, cool, so I'm feeling great. The same time that night, I had a showcase at, uh, at Stand Up New York Comedy Club and I have a great set because I'm in a good mood. Go back the next day, crush the call back, Two weeks later, I'm, uh, I'm shooting a KFC commercial. Surprise, black people like chicken. I'm shooting, <laughs> <laughs> I'm shooting this commercial, and uh, my agent, uh, I only had a commercial agent with Paradigm, and then suddenly the, uh, the legit department, Jim Hess and crew, they, they, I started getting what, what they call the heat, right? So now Hess reps me, and he calls, he's like, hey, handsome, I have good news and great news. I said, what's the good news? He's like, good news is Mad TV, they don't even want to screen test you. Um, they wanna, they're offering you a job. They're offering you six episodes that will roll to 13 if you do a good job. So, and my, my, my wife is pregnant at the time, so I'm like, that's, that's, we're taking the job, right? So then I said, well, that's the good news. What's the great news? They said, well, the great news is people from SNL were at your showcase that night, and they loved what they saw you do. So I was like, Jim, what does this mean? He was like, now I get to be an agent, you know? <laughs> and he got to really, and, and so for about almost a month. And so what I'm presuming happened was the six episodes out of 13 for Mad TV now became 13 guaranteed. Right, Because right. they had SNL interest right. and they didn't want to lose him to SNL. Right. But what you're about to hear, I hope he tells the story the way that I remember it. Uh is an amazing story of how SNL came about and the people around him as comedians who were also involved right. at the time. <laughs> it's unique, it's unbelievable, and Action. you should tell people yeah, what so, happened. So at the time, 
I, you know, in, in, in any endeavor, you don't want to tell too many people what's going on because especially in comedy, if I tell all my friends, yo, man, Mad TV is interested, but now SNL, now every time I see them, yo, so what's going on? What, did you get it? Did you get it? So I didn't tell anybody. I told my wife knew, my mother knew, and a good friend of mine who's a funny uh, uh, stand-up, uh, Ian Edwards knew because at the time, now my agent is saying, you know what, you're, you're going to go to Montreal just for laughs comedy festival. And I just want to yeah. put a pin in something for you just to show you how it goes full circle yeah. with the story of how people started in this business. Ian Edwards just did an hour special did, for yeah. Comedy Central. Yes. And who produced Ian Edwards' special? Uh, produced by one Billy Burr. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, which is which I thought was awesome. And go check out Ian Edwards. When and, you and it just shows you. And again, whatever you're doing in your lives, the relationships yeah. you have, yeah. they, you know, Ian wasn't an asshole to Billy because that, <laughs> <Right. laughs> that is correct. Right. That is correct. Yeah. So. Um, so, right, yeah, he calls him Bill, though, right? <laughs> he respects him enough. <laughs> no, I respect Billy. So, um, I love the way the guy eating dessert yeah. is fucking with you. <laughs> Even podcasts yeah, get heckled. No, I'm so, so dur- during this whole process, my, my agents were like, you know what, we're gonna, you're going to Montreal, and we're, we take the tape from, uh, from the stand up showcase. And we send it to every network because we want these networks aware of what you do and your, your skill set before you even go to Montreal because hopefully we can procure a deal for you. Um, you know, a deal uh, being they'll give you a TV show or what have you. So, um, and so what happens, again, I'm sorry I keep breaking in, but this is important. Oh, yeah. So the Montreal Just for Last Festival is the largest comedy festival in the world. And back then, you could go on at the festival and every network and every television show was there and they had lawyers there who would make deals with you right on site. And so there was fear with the executives that they would lose people who went on and had a great set. So if you went on and had a great set, these people, they needed to make sure that they locked you in. Right, right. And, and those deals were ranging at the time between 300000 500000 You literally could go from being a broke comic doing spots in New York City or wherever you're from to someone saying, here, we're giving you a half a million dollars to develop a TV show. And just to let you know, somebody who I love and who I managed for a long time, who his hour specials out now, which is tremendous, Big Depression, Gary Gullman. Right. He went up there as a new face. He'd only been doing comedy like five or seven years, and he was offered a $250,000 deal for his own television show. Right. So, uh, so that's what I'm dealing with. In the meantime, uh, we're, we're, we're stalling with Mad TV and, and because uh, with SNL, they, they, SNL, you can audition, and then it takes you know, a month or two months for them to give you an answer. So we were, we were attempting to figure out how we were going to maneuver that. And at the same time, one of my good friends um, calls me. Uh, his name is, uh, is, is Lil Kevin Hart the Bastard. That's his name, right? That's, that's what he, he used <laughs> Kev used to walk on stage, give it up for Lil Kev the Bastard. And he would go and say, <laughs> And so Kev calls me, he's like, yo, Dean, yo, look, man. Yo, I got, a, uh, I got an audition, man. I said, what's up? I said, what audition for what? He's like, yo, man, um, I'm auditioning for, for Saturday Night Live um, in the beginning of July. And I was like, word. <laughs> I said, okay. He's like, yo, man, so can you, can you help me uh, work on my, my audition and, and my characters? So at the time, I have a, in my mind, I'm like, part of me is a dilemma, but part of me is like, well, that's my friend. And so regardless of, we're both going to Montreal, 
We're both going to audition for SNL. So I, I let Kevin know. I said, hey, man, I said, just, you know, and it was weird because he's like, yo, here's my good news. I was like, just so you know, I have good news too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I told him, I said, hey, man, I said, listen, I'm, I'm auditioning as well, and this is everything that's been going on. But I will help you. We will we will iron out your audition and, and, and get you as tight and ready as possible because I didn't want him to have the same experience that I had two years prior when I went uh, for the UPN show. So I helped him. I, th- I think I remember one of the characters, he was he was going to do a uh, Cisco. You know, remember the thong song he was doing? <laughs> he was doing something with Cisco. Um, so I, I help him with his audition. Uh, we're about two, two and a half weeks out. I'm in L.A. And and we meet uh, Bernie Brillstein, who who uh, managed everyone from from Lauren Michaels to uh, uh, John Belushi, Jim Henson. He's he's he has a great book. Um, God bless that he passed, but he had a great book. Where did I go right? If any of you are into entertainment history, read the book. Where did I go right? The greatest right? comedy manager yes, of yes, all time, yes. and and a class act, man. So my manager um, at the time. Uh, Jason, he brings us to Bernie's like Jason Steinberg, Jason Steinberg who was the Jason. manager of my comedy club, the Boston right, Comedy right, Club, right. and he was the guy who told me to come back on a Tuesday night to see Chappelle right. on an open mic night. Yeah, he had he had the eye. So um, Jason is like uh, he's like, yeah, you know, um, I want you, I want to talk to Bernie because um, we have to figure out what we're gonna do. Are we gonna take a deal? Are we gonna just say yes to Mad TV? Um, to, do we gamble with uh, SNL? So Bernie's um, he says he says, hey, listen, uh, listen, uh, get your kid on, get your kid on the air, get your kid on TV. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you know how many clients I have that have had development deals for three hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars, and no one knows who the hell they are. Get him on the air. People will learn who, who he is, and then he can make more money from that. Flip that also with, I suddenly had a lawyer, and my lawyer, Tom Hoberman, he, uh, he says, hey, sometimes you got to learn to say no. So I said, what do you mean? He's like, sometimes you got to have balls to say no to get what you want. What we wanted was, I, what we didn't want, we did not want to go to uh, audition for SNL. Because once you sign the paper, they have first refusal rights. It's called the right of first refusal. Right. If you do the deal with them, then Mad TV automatically goes in the second position. Right. right. And they have to wait to see if he gets SNL or right. not. Another thing that I should mention about SNL, uh, Tom Hoberman, great lawyer, great. power of no. We all know what that can do and how that can work for us. It can work against you, too. Yeah. With SNL, it doesn't matter if you have Tom Hoberman, one of the greatest right. lawyers in the history of this business, or you have Ed's lawyer. The contract from SNL never changes. No, yeah. The only thing that changes is your name right. and social security number. <laughs> right, right, right. And in Lauren Michaels, as much as he may want you, you will never know that he wants you. Right, right. Um, so Tom says you got to have balls. Uh, so he says, you know what? If if you if you want, just tell them no because maybe that'll light a fire under them. To say we we will give him an answer a lot sooner than we normally would. So I was like, I right. at that point I'm just frazzled because it's it's become it's now becoming stressful. So I just said, all right, uh, Jim, just tell tell SNL no. So we go to lunch. We had a meeting with CBS. Maybe two hours later, I get to CBS and I'm like, all right, I guess I'm gonna be on Mad TV. My agent walks in. He's like, they bit. They said they'll give you an answer in a week. I'm like, ah. I said, all right. 
I said, so what does that mean? He's like, uh, so if we proceed with, with SNL, we now have to tell Mad TV no, or they have to wait. So I feel bad if, if Nicole Garcia ever sees or listens to this to this day, I always want to say thank you for the opportunity and I apologize because I always, and I know that's the business, but because I was so green in the business, I, I just felt bad because she was the first one that, that made the offer and it was, it was just truly genuine based on my talent. So now uh, the, uh, the screen test for SNL is July 12th. I'm going to Montreal for New Faces on July uh, 18th. Uh, Kevin and I were both flying up on July 18th. He auditioned on the 11th, I auditioned on the 12th. I get there on the 12th and they have about, I wanna say they have maybe 12 other, or 12 actors total that are screen testing. And so I'm waiting in that Anna Gasteyer's uh, dressing room from 12 p.m until 5.30, I was last. I was by, the, by the time I went on, all the other actors were gone. And the tests for Saturday Night Live, they happen at 30 Rock, yeah. they happen in the same place where you see the in show, and yeah. the comedian goes on the same stage that the host goes on when yeah. he introduces the band. Yeah. And there's a cameraman, and there's a sound guy, yeah. and sometimes Lorne and a few writers are off to the side. They're but the it's, bleachers. It's very, very yeah. common yeah. when you do these tests that there's absolutely no laughter whatsoever. Yeah. So yeah. you have to pretend like you're <laughs> killing, yeah. because if you think that you're bombing, you're gonna die up yeah. there. Yeah. And the thing, that, the thing that saved me was, I remember when Eddie Murphy, I'm a big, uh, Eddie Murphy is my idol um, since I was you know, a kid. And uh, I remember Eddie Murphy said when he auditioned for SNL, he said, hey man, you know, they had every, every, every black actor, every black cat that was in New York City, remember that commercial with the guy that was, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said, even that dude was auditioning. They were looking for a black cat. And he said, you know, because I was young, I was, what, 18, 19 years old, I remember I just said, just have fun, make sure you have fun. So when they, when it's like dead man walking, when they call you in, you're walking through the, through the hallways of Studio 8H and then the doors open and then you see home base where every host for the last, at, the, at that time, 37 years had delivered their monologue. You see the stage, you see the camera guy. Um, I, I, I plant myself on home base the, the uh, camera's aimed at me, but there's a monitor so I can see myself. And once again, I'm, I love what I do and I love me so much that I was like, yo, you know, like, like because I, I submitted to just enjoying the process and, and considering the summer I had, I said, hey man, God, God's had you this far, you'll be fine. And Lauren came over, like, Dean, thanks for, thanks for being here. I was like, yo, thanks for having me, son, you know. And I remember people said, there might be people, they, they warned, warned me and they said, there might be people in the bleachers, like writers and, and uh, maybe cast, but mainly writers might be in the bleachers, but don't expect any laughs. Yo, I was crushing. But I, I was also crushing because I, I felt good about what I already had because Mad TV had already co-signed it. So by the time I delivered it um, in Studio 8H, it had been tried and tested and, and, and run through and, and I had trimmed the fat and made, the, you know, as a stand-up, you're always constantly trimming away, just trying to get to the funny as quickly as possible. So by the time, by the time I'm doing Denzel Washington and going from Denzel Washington to Chris Rock, to, to Chris Tucker, you know, and, and Jay-Z and like bouncing between all of them, they're probably marveling not just at, at the writing, but also, wow, this kid is really like going back and forth between he's schizophrenic or something. And um, 
that was that was Tuesday. That was Thursday the twelfth, and by the following Monday, my agent called and said. Dean, uh, Lauren wants to meet with you on Wednesday, and me being so green, I was like, but I'm going to Montreal. I got to go to Montreal. Whatever. And he's, he's like, he knows that, and so they're getting you a ticket to fly in later that night. You're going to meet with him. And so at that point, I was like, oh, I got the job. You know, like, I was like, I got the gig. He now wants to size me up, because I was in the military, so I was like, oh, now it's the size up. And he wants to make sure, because I had a, I, my afro was even bigger than this, and I, so he had to check to make sure that I could wear braids to cover the, you know, the afro. And uh, yeah, I went in on Wednesday and um, tell the audience what a meeting is like with Lauren Michaels. So you're waiting. Yeah, you're waiting. Again, wait- is it worse than the test where you're walking through Dead Man Walking? Or- no, you know, it's actually better because now you've at least made it over the first hurdle. So now I'm uh, I'm in the actual offices of, uh, of Saturday Night Live, which are on the 17th floor of 30 Rock. And when I get there... Tina Fey is there. Tina, who I, I know her as, as one of the cast members and we, we, we can update um, cast members, but she's also the co-head writer on the show. So, and she greets me with like, smile. she's like, hey, Dean, how you doing? I was like, oh, cool. And uh, she's there with uh, one of the producers, Mike, Mike, Mike Shoemaker, and also Marcy Klein, the other, Lauren's, Lauren's lieutenants. So they sort of are, are relaxing me before I go in. And then you go, then like Lauren shows up, you know, however, however much longer later you go in. Lauren has a big uh, a big office, <laughs> and you sit you sit you feel like you're at the principal's office, right? You're just sitting at this table while he's behind us, and he he sort of gives his philosophy on not only the show, but he uh, he's like, you know, we uh, I liked what uh, what we we enjoyed the writing. You know, your impressions were amazing, but your writing is is important, and we really appreciated the writing in in the sketches that you presented. So I was like, oh, cool. So after about a forty minute forty minute uh, meeting and him saying no with your hair and I said no that's why I came in with it braided so you can see and uh, and then finally he never says you're hired Lauren Michaels every cast member I've ever met no one's ever heard him say well, you're hired so we've the, the meeting sort of is uh, ending and he says good then we'll see you here and I was like ah cool so I walk out and Marcy Klein is like yeah yeah so I was like Nah, he was, he, was, he was a nice fellow. She's like, yeah, bye, hey. And I said, I, uh, do I have the job? She was like, yes. I said, oh, because he didn't say that. He didn't, he, <laughs> he didn't let me know that I had the job. And, and, then, and then I went in the bathroom and I cried. And, uh, and, I was, and, and they, they had a car waiting for me downstairs to bring me to the airport to fly to Montreal. And what was funny about Montreal, and this wrapping it back, back around the Kev, when, when, when I got to Montreal, my agents all said, listen, you cannot tell people that you booked SNL already, otherwise there's no purpose for you being here as a new face. So I was like, so what does that mean? They said, so you have to wait until after your second showcase tomorrow night. So I'm like, ah, damn, okay. So now I'm in my, my, uh, my hotel room, and my phone rings, and it's Kev. He's like, yo, Dean, what's up, man? Where you, where you at? I said, Man, I'm tired, right? Because <laughs> I'm tired for the last month. I've been holding all this stuff in, and, and, and I'm just exhausted. I finally have a moment to breathe. He's like, yo, man, come on. We got to hustle, man. We're here for a reason. And my point in saying that is Kev has always been, he's always wanted it. You know what I mean? That's what I've always, I, someone just sent me a picture of us from back then, and he's always been just on his grind. You know, he's a talented uh, artist, enter, entertainer, but he's always just been about his business. And he was like, yo, Dean, come on, man. We got to get come downstairs. We got to politic. We got to meet these people. So 
because I didn't want to ruin this, you know, ruin the truth for him. I went down and I'm shaking hands and I think Mark Hirschfeld from NBC. He's like, he's like, Mark Hirschfeld was the casting director for Seinfeld. Yeah, so he's there and a bunch of people from NBC and they're all like, yeah, we know what's up. We, congratulations. I played dumb. I was like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about because in my mind I was like, they're trying to test me. They're trying to test to see if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna tell people and then they're gonna take the show away from me. I won't be broken. So for, for 24 hours, I didn't tell anybody. And then right before, right after my second showcase as a new face, I remember I finished all the uh, uh, industry, got up, and then uh, I went to tell Kev. So Kevin was the first person you told. Kev is the first person I tell. Actually, his manager, uh, Dave Becky, was watching because he, he saw when my people came over and said, okay, you can tell people. And he was, he was manning the door because... Uh, D. Ray Davis and Kev were, were in, uh, in the green room. So as I go to open the door, he stops. And I thought, I always thought this was class. He said, you know what? Congratulations, man. I understand that you, you got the show. Do me a favor. Allow me. That, that's, I know that's your friend, but that's my client. So would you allow me to break the news to him first? Because I want to encourage him and make sure he knows that we have other possibilities out there. Which, which I'm like, do you have other possibilities? That you <laughs> so he went, he went in, told him he exited, and I walked in, and Kev had the biggest smile and biggest, biggest grin, man. And that's, and that's what friends do. You know what I mean? That's like, to this day, I'm, a, I'm always very proud of our friendship because it's endured, and we've always, I'm, I've always been super happy and excited for everything he's achieved and vice versa. And that's, and that's what friends should, should do, which goes back to, um, has anyone called me an asshole? No, I don't think anybody has. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That was awesome. a callback. <laughs> Love that. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out, and we have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to IKillJFK.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? ikilljfk.com check it out and that wraps up part one of two episodes you can check out the next episode this coming thursday and here's a preview of the next episode just do it man just get on stage you know i i i you've heard me say i'm not big on advice because what worked for me might not work for the next cat but i just believe if you want something just just do it As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. 
All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.